very heavily customized. I, I buy a relatively inexpensive turnkey machine and then quadruple its cost in upgrades um, because I need something that's particularly large as well as um, is able to do material deposition of, we don't print filament, we print pellets. And that is a big part of the story because it opens up basically anything that you could injection mold, we can print, which is what differentiates us from a lot of the consumer grade filament based materials. I know Jeepers, it's another wonderful Friday. I'm Tony and welcome to the Jeep Talk Show, the talk show where we talk about all things Jeep from trail riding to overlanding and everything in between. Every Friday, we have an interview with a new and exciting guest. Sometimes they have products you need for your Jeep. Sometimes they just have a great story to tell. So sit back, grab a cold one and get ready for another great guest right here on the Jeep Talk Show. Oh, and keep listening to the end to hear your name if you're a Patreon subscriber. Are you ready? It's time for the Jeep Talk Show with hosts Tony, Josh, Wendy, and Chuck. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and Friday was a great day to wake up to because uh, temperatures that have been in the 100-degree range for, good Lord, like, what was it, July, August, and September, almost daily uh, temperatures were hitting 100. Uh, I think I saw, I've got a little temperature sensor uh, in the backyard and uh, digital sensor, so it has to be correct, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, I saw it get as high as 107 degrees in our backyard. Very, very hot here in uh, at Studio A in, the, in Southeast Texas. So, uh, But anyway, I'm waking up uh, today, or I woke up today at... Uh, uh the early in the morning and it was a good 69 degrees yes 69 and i think the high is only supposed to be in the 80s so you know that i actually might be getting out in the garage and uh, working on the xj and uh, get it uh, uh more ready for at least driving on the streets and uh, maybe off-road but uh, it, that's going to take a little bit more <laughs> things to do to get it to where it needs to go to be off-road so uh, I was uh, I reflected I reflect on this occasionally and I don't really share this information as I'm thinking about it uh, but uh, I, I thought it would be a good timely thing to to share today. You know I started this show back in December of 2010. Uh, it was meant to promote the XJTalk.com website. It's a Jeep Cherokee forum still running. Uh, it it needs a little help. It needs a little things that need to be done to it, much like the XJ. Uh, but it's still there, and, and you can uh, search and uh, find out information about Cherokees and, and, and really read some interesting conversations that had gone on uh, really uh, for years and years. I mean, I think it started uh, – I mean, we started the, the, the show in 2010. I think 2005 is whenever the, uh, the XJTalk.com uh, website was, uh, was brought up. So I like the idea of uh, dabbling in the podcast world. It was fairly new back then. I think Joe Rogan uh, started about uh, 2009. So, you know, Joe uh, has been doing his podcast for a long time. uh, And we've uh, been doing this one for almost as long. Uh, I say we because we're a team now. I'm going to get to more of that here in a bit. But uh, at this point, it really was me, uh, myself, and uh, I, all three of us. So anyway, uh, it was uh, and still is amazing what you can do with the Internet. I mean, you don't need a radio transmitter, a massive antenna, uh, and you don't have to convince anyone into putting you on the air. And, and, and then there's the whole thing of being good enough to stay there. So <laughs> with, the, with the Internet, you don't have to be good at all. 
<laughs> you just put it out there. So you can do a podcast with a smartphone. I mean, literally, the phone that you have in your hand, you can record and publish uh, uh, episodes uh, on the uh, on the internet. And and you may have one person listening, maybe your mom. <laughs> you may have uh, millions of them because it's always the content over the audio quality. Really, it always is. And that's why we always try to have good content. But uh, we try to do the value add with having a good audio as well. So, you know, ultimately, it's your voice, your thoughts, and a personal drive to keep doing the podcast. That's tough. Uh, and, and one of the reasons why it is no matter how alone you feel you are, you have to keep podcasting. You have to keep doing it. It's like talking into a dark void. Is anyone there? Since that 2010 launch, people have joined the show. No promises of wealth, fame, just like-minded people having fun. There is still a void, but now I'm surrounded by people that are all working together to make this show better. Team members, listeners, and business owners. I want more, but we've already surpassed what I realistically thought uh, we'd accomplish. Thank you to all of you that help support the show. Hey, Josh, this is Matt over here at the House of Gong. Just want to let you know that your 12-inch is backordered. But if you know your way around Gong, I will go ahead and up your order to a 15-inch and get it right out to you with no extra cost. I know you're going to love it. Yes! powder-coated black for free. Once you see the way this deluxe model swings once you smack it, Ooh. you'll never go back. Now, I know being a famous guy, you can get any kind of Gong you want. I'm proud that you chose ours. So, thanks a lot. Be seeing you. That is hilarious. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Howdy ho, boys and girls. It's time for another Jeep Talk Show interview. We're going to be talking with Patrick. Patrick is a former Apple engineer who is passionate about developing new methods and manufacturing techniques. As an engineer by trade, he couldn't help but notice how certain areas of the 4x4 aftermarket weren't keeping up with what he has, uh, what he was seeing in other industries. Perry Parts was a passion project that has recently become his full-time focus. You can find out more about uh, Patrick and the products that he is selling at perryparts.com. Perryparts.com. Patrick, thanks a lot for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, Patrick. So uh, I went over and checked out the the, the website, perryparts.com, and uh, I immediately went to Jeep because I'm a Jeep owner. And I immediately went to the Gladiator, because I'm a Jeep Gladiator owner, and I, I saw what you had there and I went, well, son of a bitch, all he has is bump stops. <laughs> That's all he's got for the Gladiator? Now, let's go see, see if this guy's a Toyota person. So I went over to the Toyotas and picked one of those things out. Oh, bump stops. What about a different Toyota? Well, it's bump stops, too. So, uh, Patrick, you must be selling bump stops. <laughs> We we are selling bump stops right now. Oh we um, we have a few <laughs> a few other products dabbling in other spaces. Um, there's a uh, a spring conversion kit for a few niche products or niche vehicles that we're working on, um, and then we also do have some internal components as well. Um, but bump stops are kind of a bread bread and butter right now. Um, 
in the future, we're looking towards other polymer products like bushings and body mounts Mm -hmm. um, to add to our portfolio. So how did you come up with uh, the the bump stop idea? What uh, I mean, I, I know in the intro we were saying you, that we were missing out. You were, the industry is missing out on something. What was the 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 emphasis for creating bump stops for the various vehicles? What what did you see lacking? So the origin story was um, I broke a set of uh, one of our competitors' bump stops prior to a trip. Um, their lead time that they had posted on their website was twenty one days, and um, I had a trip coming up that weekend. And so um needed to figure something out. I had been experimenting with this new material that um it's a, a urethane polymer, it's a TPU. Um and that material is flexible. And so I was dabbling in that space and I was like, you know what, let's try it. Let's print these and run them on a weekend, see how they hold up. Um and I was shocked. They did really well. <laughs> and so then the next question was, okay, I'm printing these what what features can i add if i'm printing them um and i started to think about you've got these these printed materials it's hollow on the inside or semi-hollow but it's full, full of air what can you do with air you can have airbag suspension you can have um variable amounts of air inside of a part and by controlling the air in the part the way it gets out of the part um you can effectively change the spring rate of the bump stop yeah that and so sense. what we've added to our products is a compression damping basically the air allows the force feedback from the bump stop to change based on how hard you hit the bump stop have you popped one <laughs> we've popped many um so part of the development process was tuning the material mm-hmm. getting the the print parameters right um, and really dialing everything in. There's the materials very, very resilient, and we've actually gone. Um, we've clicked up materials three times now. We've now are on this polymer that we've co-developed with Covestro, um, which is a U.S.-based polymer supplier. And um, this stuff is the bee's knees. It's super durable. It's um, low rebound, so it doesn't spring back like a bouncy ball, um, and uh, it's very resilient to oil, temperature, etc. But yeah, no, the, uh, the iterations, because we're printing, we can iterate really, really, really quickly. And so we can try stuff, we can try multiple versions, um, and that's allowed us to be really adaptable. Mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're testing these things, is it taking it out to the woods and bumpy areas and screwing one on and testing it until it fails? Or is there a more um, rapid way of testing these things? So um, when we first got started, it was a lot of seat of your pants. Let's go out. Let's mm-hmm. go wheeling. Let's see if we can break them. Are they stiff enough? Are they not? Horrible days, um, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the worst part of the job is product testing. Honey, I got to go um, testing. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we've got, we have metrics that we actually shoot for. We've learned a lot through the process. Um, you know, we can modulate how stiff these are in the printing process. Mm-hmm. And so part of that um, is... We now know, we measure the OEM force load, um, and we ensure that the suspension does not over-articulate relative to OEM, so ensuring that suspension is properly protected. Nice. Um, and in addition to that, um, we're also doing long-term cycle testing. Um, so sending parts out to people to run for extended periods of time, people who are uh, what we call in engineering strife use case. Um, so people who live in their rig 24-7 and they're going out to Baja, they're going to Alaska, like they're doing long trips consistently. Um, and we work with those people directly and say, hey, 
I want you to run these because I want that that abuse case to be studied. So, right, and of course, you you started with uh, printed, and and some of you out there may be going, "Oh, is this three D printed?" Yes, it's this is this stuff is three D printed, and and if you do three D printing, you can pick up on several of the things uh, that Patrick has said. So, uh, let me ask you this: uh, Is there a a room in your house? Uh, or apartment where you have a 3D printer and it's just you got fans on it because it's just getting so hot printing these things. Yeah, we've um, our basement is full of 3D printers, and um, I set up a uh, a fume extraction setup because you know they do oh, smell; yeah, they're yeah. melting plastic all the time. Um, and we're doing kilograms upon kilograms of material, and so you know it's important for health reasons to keep the area clean. But um, the other part was running enough electricity in that space as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, we do, uh, the basement is the print print room right now. Um, and then we also have a couple other machines, a plasma cutter and a CNC machine as well oh, that nice. are out in the garage to help make parts. I have nothing to do with any of those things, but I still love to have them. You know, it'd be fun just to mess with it. <laughs> cut anything you want to cut. I think that's my favorite part is being able to use these machines and be like, I'm using them to make products and it's fun you uh-huh. know? yeah well i mean we were talking before we started recording about you being an apple en- engineer and you mentioned uh, making a good tool and it's it's you never know what you can do until you have the tool i mean if you if you make a case and make a plan and we need to spend this money on this tool uh that's one way of doing it but it's kind of the slow thing if you have a reason to have the plasma cutter there and then you go you have this idea and you go, well, you know, I think I could do this with the plasma cutter. There's no, in, in other words, rapid development and maybe breakthroughs happen just simply because you have the right tool there available. Exactly. Yeah. If I hadn't had a printer, I wouldn't have printed these parts in the first place. Um, if I don't, you know, if I don't have access to these things, the designs may never mature enough to be realized in the first place. Right. So right. That's a really good point. So, uh, the, the, whenever you had the, the bump stop issue and you needed one quicker than 21 days, which the, the replacement was, uh, was going to take you a while to get, um, you already had, must have already had the 3D printer. Uh, how, how long had you been doing 3D printing? And surely it wasn't just something. I mean, I would imagine the, the 3D printers multiplied as soon as you realized how many of these things you had, you had to make uh, simultaneously. <laughs> but initially, there yeah. was one or two 3D printers that you were messing around with. Yeah. So I've been 3D printing um, for probably about a decade now, um, and both professionally and personally. Um, I've been involved in assorted additive manufacturing initiatives um, at General Electric as well as Apple. Um, And that work has always been something that I really enjoyed, and it's been a bit of a passion project for me, but I always wanted to do more with it. And I felt as though... um, some of these larger corporations are a little bit slower to move towards those goals of, you know, chasing these new um, technologies because they do have a lot more to lose. Um, and they need to make sure much as you just alluded to, you got to check all the boxes before you buy the tool. Um, I already had the tool and I wanted to make something with it. Um, and yeah, I started out with one printer. I made this post on a, uh, a Toyota forum about um, the product that I had made. And overnight, um, things blew up. I woke up the next morning and I'm like, oh my God, I need to schedule every single order because we have barely enough capacity to meet demand for the next month. Um, and I also need to buy more printers. <laughs> 
Well, I would, yeah. and I would imagine after a while, you you see what's coming in, so you kind of you can kind of print ahead, or do you print uh, uh, last last minute, so to speak? Well, I've got this order, I got to print it, and uh, then we'll get it out, you know, within a couple of days. I would imagine some of these, depending on the printer that you have, some of these uh, these prints probably take uh, a number of hours, like up to twenty four hours, especially for the long bump stops. Yep, exactly. Um, our longest build is actually thirty six hours for a batch of four. Um, so they take a while. Um, the inventory management is actually really nice though, because we're not paying, um, for space in an injection molding facility. Um, we no long, we don't need to do these big batches and then hold all that inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a wall with all of our inventory and just below it, I have all the, the packaging slips for our orders. And so as orders come in, I can look at them. I can see whether or not we have it in inventory. And if not, I queue it up in the print queue and it happens as soon as the next printer is available. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty of that is it's just in time manufacturing. We keep about 24 to 48 hours of inventory on hand at any given time. Um, and it also guarantees that our customers get the newest, latest and greatest thing that we're making. So how many UPSs do you have? I actually don't. Um, so that's a <laughs> great you, question. But you know I, what I'm talking I, about. <laughs> I, I, I do. Um, <laughs> you, you can cut this out if it's too long of a story, but it's, no, no, it's, it's kind fine. of interesting. Yeah. Um, we, where we lived when I was back in California, when we first got started, um, was notorious for losing power all the time. Uh, we would lose power know, twice a week. Um, oftentimes we'd have brownouts. We lived up in the Redwoods and branches oh this is how the third world lives man (laughs) (laughs) um and you know i experiment i bought a couple of ups's and two of the hurdles that i ran into um one was when the power would go out um the ups's did not have enough power output none of the consumer grade ups's had power output high enough to keep up with all the printers no 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 Um, that's why i said how many because it's like one ups per machine (laughs) The other, the other angle to that is the printers require 24 seven power and not even a blip. And the UPSs have like, like a 10 millisecond blip in power. And that's enough to make the printer lose its positioning mm. and you still have scrap parts. Yeah. And so what I do is I actually have several big, um, I have basically a battery bank that is always charged and the printers pull from that right and then that is continuously passively charged in the background yeah that's a good and idea so no switch over then exactly it's always powered dc and then you don't have to worry about it but that was that was a big hurdle to figure out because we were scrapping parts left and right and you lose everything on every single machine so <laughs> it's it's like well yeah hey we can get a lot of printers in here and we can do all this stuff and a joke i like to make a lot was from an old uh andy hardy movie with uh, andy rooney and it was like hey my dad's got a, a barn we can put on a show and then once you get it set up and you start looking at the realities of how things really are it, it, it gets a lot more complex but it, it's absolutely wonderful that you can come up with an idea print it test it and then scale up the number of printers to meet the demand, and everything's done right there. There's no uh, building that you have to be in other than where you're living, uh, and there's just stuff that you can buy and put together, and, and now it's printing real-world stuff that you can sell. It's, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a great time to be alive. I mean, I thought the Internet was cool. 
uh, and especially just like doing podcasts. I mean, uh, in in the past, you'd have to have a manager. You'd have to have a, a station that you'd have to sell your product to. You'd have to be uh, aware of ratings in case you wanted to continue on or you could lose your, your show or your job at any time. And with the Internet, anybody can do this stuff. Uh, it, that and it's good and bad. Awesome, right? Yeah. It, oh, it's absolutely awesome. It's, it is just wonderful, and it and it extends beyond just the internet. I mean, the internet, of course, is a big part of this. But you having a business uh, in your home and printers in your basement, it just allows you to n- use your knowledge to uh, enrich yourself uh, and allow uh, you to give a product to people that they may never have would have seen otherwise. Instead of having to be part of a big corporation, I just think it's really neat. Great. Yeah, it's one of the things I love about the technology. Yeah, and it's just going to get worse or better, depending on how you look at it. Um, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, and you know it is. I mean, things are going to uh, going to improve and get more um, uh, more technical, uh, and uh, I don't think it's going to get harder to understand. It's just going to get. Uh, it's going to allow us to be able to use our imagination uh, fully. Uh, the the further it goes, and I think AI is going to be a big part of that as well. Oh, and that's interesting. Are you using AI for for anything having to do with uh, uh, testing this stuff prior to actually printing it? Oh, there aren't um, accessible AI manufacturing aids available right now. Um, the one thing that I will say is we use um, we use a uh, AI monitoring tool, which basically looks at a webcam. Um, on the printer and yeah. can identify whether a print fails. Um, and that's relatively useful. Um, we're not currently running it because we just moved into the new the new shop. Um, but it is, it is something that we've run historically and it does help quite a bit. Um, with respect to the machines themselves, they, um, they're not turnkey. They're, they're very heavily customized. I, I buy a relatively inexpensive turnkey machine and then, quadruple its costs in upgrades um, because I need something that's particularly large as well as um, is able to do material deposition of, we don't print filament, we print pellets. And that is a big part of the story because it opens up basically anything that you could injection mold, we can print, which is what differentiates us from a lot of the consumer grade filament based materials. Interesting. So the pellets have to go into something and get melted and then extruded. And, and how do you get it uh, to actually, I mean, with something that's hard in the form of a filament, you can push it or pull it. But how do you do that with a pellet? Yeah, so um, with the pellet machines, we use a screw. Um, and so the way injection molding machines do it is they have a very long screw, um, roughly a meter, sometimes two meters long, um, to build up tons of pressure. Um, to force the plastic into the mold. Mm-hmm. And um, what we've done is we've effectively miniaturized that to an extreme degree. Um, and so instead of injecting that, injecting that plastic into a mold, we're injecting that plastic into the back end of a nozzle. Right. And then it is immediately deposited onto a part. Um, at, when I was, I was talking with uh, my contact at our material supplier, um, and he's asking questions about, oh, what's this? What's the part you're making? What's the shape of the part? And I'm like, I'm pushing material through a, a tiny little orifice. And he's like, what are you making? <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 a definitely a different way of doing it. Um, and it's been quite the journey getting it all figured out. But the benefits are huge. 
um, because we can use real engineering grade polymers. We can use the same stuff that other people would be molding their bump stops out of, but instead we can print it and we can also change the design to make it better. Mm -hmm. So, so um, I'm just going to, um, this is probably something that you, then there's probably a bunch of different things that would keep you from being able to do this, but, but when are you going to start printing uh, tires for like 20 bucks a piece, you know, some 37s or something <laughs> that, that you can sell, you know, for $35 and you make a $15 per tire profit. Well, material costs still have to come down to make that viable. Um, the other angle is that's a very, very big printer. Oh, I know. Um, but that would, be, that would be on, fun to have, uh, though, and that would be a good reason to, to build it. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, there are companies. Uh, if you look up Big Rep, um, they're a very cool company that has a, uh, I think it's a one meter by one meter printer. You could almost squeeze a 37 on there. Mm -hmm. um, might be kind of neat. Yeah. But, um, Air, airless tires is an area that I am dabbling in. Um, I you have know, a design for something. I, I saw those. Here. I saw those back in like the nineties, I think, and then just nothing happened to it. I think it's the police. They don't want to do a police chase and have that uh, spike strip uh, put out and, and just get the finger shot at them as the guy drives by with uh, airless tires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I. My gosh. Um, well, and and. I'm sure that there's got to be some manufacturing angle as well, right? Like there's already an established supply chain for rubber um, and, uh, and airless likely doesn't provide the same performance at higher speeds that they would be looking for. Mm -hmm. There's always have, there has to be a financial reason for a lot of these decisions, you know? Yeah, but you, well, no, yeah, I understand. But I mean, I, I just like the idea of the airless tire. I mean, they were looking at them on military vehicles way back when, uh, because obviously, if you're if you're driving someplace back then on a Humvee, and uh, you uh, you don't want to have a flat tire. I mean, they they went through the, all the trouble of uh, having a uh, an air uh, con continuous air uh, balancing and air up uh, system on those things. Uh, what if you could have a tire that just used plastic instead of a uh, plastic fins instead of a, uh, a wheel uh, and uh, no air in the tire and the plastic fins would uh, give and take uh, to, to form the tire and, and uh, produce uh, uh, the contact patch for the ground. I just thought it was a wonderful idea. I mean, you, you don't get the same thing out of like letting air out of the tire and, and making it more grippy, airing up afterwards and making it less grippy and getting better MPG. I understand. I mean, but, but to me, that's just an engineering challenge. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, the benefits in certain scenarios far outweigh the drawbacks, right? Mm -hmm. If you are guaranteed never to get a flat, then people would be very, very interested in that. Yeah. Um, and if you have a, a trail only rig, then maybe you don't care about it not having to air up, right? Right. No, no. I mean, certainly you could have the those little plastic fins at a certain uh, uh, bendy bendiness uh, elasticity, so that it would uh, be great for off roading. Not this, not so great. I mean, worst case is you could change uh, change out the tires when you were done, which is uh, more work than uh, airing up, airing down. But I'm just saying it. Uh, this the no air thing. I think is uh, uh, overall is a good idea. It's it's a weak point of the of the the vehicle system. But anyway, um, so getting back to the bump stops now. Uh, you have bump stops for uh, a wide w range of vehicles, uh, including Jeeps. Uh, who, who all do you cover? Oh, um, right now we cover every single Toyota platform back to the 80 series. Um, and then every Lexus that is commonly used off-road, um, the GMC um, uh, Canyon and Colorado 
um, as well as the Jeep uh, JL and JK platforms. So what does... Oh, and JT. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So what does uh, your bump stop do differently than the, the factory bump stop? Why, why do people need to have your bump stop on their, their Jeep or Toyota or one of the other rigs uh, instead of using the factory one? So two reasons. Um, most factory bump stops are a very hard rubber. And so when you contact them, um, it's a very jarring experience. You, you're in your normal suspension articulation, and then you hit the bump stop and it's, you're losing fillings. Um, versus with uh, most aftermarket bump stops, um, the idea is it distributes that force over a longer distance. So think about it like an airbag or um, a helmet. Right, you're you're spreading out that energy over more distance, so the force is less jarring and does less damage, um, and it makes it for a more comfortable ride as well as improved suspension longevity long term. Um, the key thing with ours is um, we dissipate more energy than other products um, because of our internal structure. The bump stop is able to um, shed a lot of that energy, and almost all energy is lost as heat, um, and so our bump stops dissipate that energy. Um, and we also vary our force feedback when you hit them. So when you hit the bump stops, if you hit them very quickly and hard, they were, they will respond more stiff. Whereas if you compress them slowly, like imagine you're trying to really flex out your rig on a trail, um, you get a little bit more squish and they, they're less firm. So you get almost a non-Newtonian property out of them. Mm. Um, if you've ever seen someone punch a, a bowl of cornstarch, um, it's that kind of effect. Right. And then the last thing is um, if you're running particularly large tires or you have a unique rig, we've done several, um, more than several customs for people. Like I'm trying to fit 37s on a four, a little bit less articulation, help me out. Or um, people running... Uh, longer rear control arms and they need the bump stops to meet up with the the rear spring perch um, we can do that because we can make one-offs and customs for people um, and because of the fact that we go directly from design to print so if somebody wanted to do a custom bump stop what would you need from them i mean something more so than uh what the information you just gave would there be measurements involved uh what, what would the, the steps be because i'm i'm sure some some people perked up when they said oh custom custom bump stop i like that idea um yeah so the way that i work with folks for custom applications is i will typically send them um our standard um fitment so like if you have um, if you're looking for a longer bump stop and you don't quite know how much longer you need it to be, then I would send you what we typically sell for your vehicle platform. You install it, get photos of, you know, I need more length here, or I need the bump stop to come back at this angle, or it needs to interface here with this part. Um, you send a couple of photos, a little bit of feedback, and we will iterate on that design as many times as necessary until we get them right. Oh, very nice. That's great. Uh, and then uh, w w this could be potentially something that once you have that information, if you ran across somebody with the same setup, you could uh, just go back and, and reprint the same thing. Exactly. So or at least a good starting all point. Of our, yeah. Yeah. So we hold all of our, our existing um, designs um, in our back pocket in case we have another use case for that concept. Um, but then it's still, there's still a bit of spin, right? Like, 
you know, you come to me and you say, I have longer rear control arms by, you know, three inches, which would be ridiculous. Um, but let's say that, right. And I'm like, oh, well, I have a set for an inch, but you know, I know that approximately this is how much sweep angle we need. We can adjust it by a bit more. It gives you a really great starting point to build off of for the next version. Mm-hmm. So the, the bump stops the designs that you already have uh, and that you currently use, um, do you do you get pushback from some people? Maybe they don't understand fully understand uh, what the bump stops can and can't do. Like, for example, I mean, you could bump top the hell out of something, uh, but then that really uh, will impact your, um, uh, your flexibility, uh, flexing the thing. Uh, the axle, and I guess some of these vehicles, you don't have to worry about axles, do you? I mean, rear axle, but uh, IFS on the front. Yeah, on the IFS rigs, you can still over-limit travel, though. Um, and one of the things, um, we actually, we worked with a, a guy over, or down in uh, Georgia, that he's really avid wheeler, um, and one of his key complaints about a lot of other products on the market is that they over-limit suspension travel. They're mm-hmm. too tall, um, and they engage really early and, um, you know, that's necessary to dissipate that energy over a longer, longer distance. But the key thing that's missing there is with ours, if you stay flex out, that bump stop will compress a little bit more and that buys you that extra inch to get up onto a rock or to get over something that you otherwise wouldn't have. Um, to your point, you absolutely can over bump something too, right? If you, if you're putting long travel bump stops on a, uh, on a rig on stock height, that's actually something we had to, we put long travel in the description of our bump stops. And so people thought that by buying the bump stops, they would, it would make their rig long right. travel. So we had to add a disclaimer. No, this is for, if you have long travel already on your rig, mm-hmm. we had a couple of people say, oh, these bump stops are always in contact. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they're meant for another four inches of lift <laughs> right so th- that's what you have to do is get into selling lift kits so whenever they over bump stop you say oh we got a lift kit for you <laughs> there you go there you go that's the great next segue <laughs> yeah and i would imagine i mean it's it, there's nothing wrong with not understanding how things work uh, but i would imagine that you get into that side of it like well this explaining what you you, you know, what are you trying to do? And then, you know, uh, what kind of distances are we talking about? What kind of lift size do you have? What's the distance between the factory bump stop and uh, uh, from the top to bottom? And all those all those questions you get in to get them the right, uh, the right part. Uh, and I would imagine there's a fair amount of education about uh, what the bump stop does and, and you know, not what, what you want it to do, but, you know, what are you looking for it to do? And sometimes uh, exactly. the, the magic can't happen because it's, <laughs> it's it's it would have to be magic for it to do what you want it to do. But at least guide them in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, one of my one of my favorite questions is why are the front bump stops so much stiffer than the rears? And it's because, well, depending on the vehicle application, but on the Toyota stuff, if you've got a control arm and your bump stop is halfway up the control arm, you've got a lever there, right? And you've got twice as much lever or twice as much force acting on your part given that leverage ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, and then explaining to people how bump stops can actually help with flex if you've got a live front axle. Um, if you've got a pivot point, then you're levering off that pivot point and it can actually help you articulate a little bit more depending on the circumstances. Yep, yep, yep. Well, this is just really cool. Uh, how do you get the the screw to stick inside the, the bump stop? Because you're 3D printing this and I know you're not 3D printing no bolts. 
<laughs> oh well, you don't know everything about our printers, do you? No, I'm just kidding. I was um, like, oh wow, maybe so, maybe sell. So. This is going to be earth shattering. <laughs> um, no, so uh, the cool part is um, we're able to print in threads, and so we print in threads. They're embedded right in there, and then mm-hmm. we install a bolt into the bump stop, and it's captive. Um, and the nice part is for vehicles that have a threaded installation bracket, um, then you just turn the bump stop in like you're installing an oil filter. Um, super easy to install. Um, you'll never have to remove them, but if you do have to remove them, super easy to remove as well. And, you know, God forbid that fastener rusts in the frame, there's still a bolt head that's accessible. Um, so you can remove it traditionally as well if you need to. Okay, so uh, the, the 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 bump stop itself will hold the bolt well enough to keep it from spinning, and I would imagine you can get some squish if you over-tighten these things. You're actually, um, as part of our installation guidelines, we recommend some amount of squish, and what that allows is those compression damping ports. Um, it reduces the amount of debris ingress into them. So, you know, dust and mm-hmm. water and things like that is less able to, to access there. Um, but it also provides a little bit of back pressure onto the um, the back of those ports. So that way, when you hit them harder, um, the bump stop is able to seal up against the landing to some degree and help. Um, we found that the, the diameter of the ports drives most of that performance, though. But some squish is desirable, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just thinking about from the, the bottom part because, you know, I, like, I don't want to lose this thing. I'm going to bolt, uh, bolt this thing down, put some torque onto it, and then it starts squishing. And heaven forbid mm-hmm. the, uh, the bolt uh, comes out because you're uh, just putting too much uh, pressure on it. Um, have you guys thought about doing anything as far as uh, adjustable bump stops, as far as uh, changing the amount of uh, uh, air that's inside of them to, to make them variable? So um, this year, later this year, um, we have a new product brewing that is um, essentially a a modular bump stop. Um, And the intent there is hot swappable inserts to allow for as much adjustability as you would like with respect to height as well as stiffness. Mm -hmm. Um, So that will be a game changer. We're really looking forward to to announcing it. Um, But uh, yeah, no, that's something we've absolutely thought of and we're looking forward to to releasing well so is it going to be bluetooth adjustable because you know how the kids love bluetooth <laughs> well it's actually going to work with starlink I don't know <laughs> there you go i like that that's even better i mean it needs to go to, to you know uh, 60 50 miles up and come 50 60 miles back down you know just because you can <laughs> yeah uh, if i can't adjust my bum stops with a slider on my phone what am i even doing <laughs> it's it's like me sitting here in uh, upstairs calling my wife on uh, the cell phone she's downstairs you know it's going all the way to the cell tower and all the way back to her phone so we can have a conversation i could have walked to in uh, less time than dialing the phone i love technology i love abusing technology <laughs> well patrick i can't tell you this is just exciting stuff i really love the idea where you come up with an idea you you uh, you had the printer so you tried it i mean you were the first customer weren't you Oh, absolutely. Yep. I mean, and that's usually the case is the, the president, the CEO, or, or I, I guess I should say the, the inventor, uh, not always the CEO eventually, but uh, depending on how successful it gets, but uh, the, the inventor always gets to try the stuff out uh, first. And of course, it's the one that gets abused the most because whenever you're the inventor, you abuse yourself like, oh, that was just stupid. I should never have done that. I should have known better. 
Uh, and that, that's a good question for me to ask. How did this go? Was it an instant a win for you? I mean, the, the bump stops that you made, and I'm assuming you made more than one, or did you just replace the one that was broken on, on your rig? I made a full set. Um, so I made fronts first and then um, rears. After launching the fronts, there was a ton of requests for rears. Um, and so after a little bit of time and iterating, um, got some rears made as well. Um, and to your point, yeah, it, it's been many, many iterations. From the first ones, um, a little over a year and a half ago, um, we've, we're on version nine or 10, double check, um, of released product. Um, and there's been plenty more sub iterations that have happened. Um, actually, hold on, I've got the file. We're on version 34. Um, so there's been lots and lots of iteration in the background um, and things tried and tested. Um, and uh, yeah, the product is continuously improving. So uh, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Uh, probably if you were aware, aware of it, you wouldn't have come onto the show. But uh, occasionally the Jeep Talk Show uh, gives their guests million-dollar ideas. And something you just said that I actually misunderstood, the word that you were using made me think of this. Uh, here's a Jeep Talk Show million-dollar idea for you. You take uh, one of your uh, bump stops, but you modify it so that it's hollow on the inside. No mounting bolt, none of that stuff like that. And you make it a beer koozie. It looks just like your bump stop has the P on it, but it holds a beer. Because, you know, Jeepers love beers. And now you've got a, uh, a bump stop a beer koozie. I love that. <laughs> That'll be awesome. Yeah, yeah. And you get some of the, some of the insulating properties, right, of, of a hollow air volume, right? That's right. So it would actually be probably the most durable beer koozie ever made. <laughs> That's a pretty cool idea. I like that. I'll, I'll send you one once we make one. All right, all right. That sounds good. Oh, and the only other, the only complaint I, I have about your, your, your bump stops is they're the wrong color. They should be, all be red. I, I, I beg to differ. <laughs> this is that a, said, this I also is a, can't change the color. <laughs> this is a constant thing that we do on the show about red and black. Because uh, uh, one co-host yep. has a black Jeep. I've got a red Jeep. i got more than one red Jeep. So red is always the right color. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, make them red. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, you can't say you can't do it because that's, that's just not the word you use in engineering. Of course it can be done. I mean, I mean Scotty could do it. You could do exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> it's just a matter of time, right? That's right. Uh, time and effort and money. And the money part usually is wh where people go, oh, okay, well, I understand why you can't make it because I ain't spending that much money. Um, so just going through the, the the products here for the various vehicles, I see Toyota, Lexus, uh, Chevy, BMW, uh, Jeep, uh, and I think the Ford Bronco is upcoming, right? That's right. Yep. But you're going to have stuff for uh, the Ford Bronco and uh, Ducati. Now, is and I'm not really up on this, Ducati is just a motorcycle, isn't it? Yeah, um, and actually, if you look at the BMW products, they're all motorcycle parts ah, as well. Ah, okay. Um, we, um, so, yeah, in, in the motorcycle sphere, um, there's some, some uh, parts that are not readily available um, for one of the bikes that we support. Um, reason for that is just that the, um, the bike has not been in production for a long time. It was not in production for a very long time, even when it was in production. Mm -hmm. um, and so, being able to source some of these components... Um, is virtually impossible. And I want to be able to help people keep these bikes on the road. So um, I'm pretty active in that community and I 
brought that to market for them. Um, and then there's also a luggage rack at our first foray into uh, um, sheet metal parts. Uh, I mentioned we have a plasma cutter. And so that was kind of one of the first dabblings that we did there um, and working to kind of build proficiency with sheet metal parts. And, and um, there's a lot of opportunities there with suspension. Um, if you can create um, good compound bends, which um, interestingly, you can also 3D print tooling to bend your sheet metal parts. And so you can do a little bit of everything in-house there. Um, and with that tooling, you can be pretty precise with your bending as well. And then the last thing, the Ducati, um, the Ducati gauge relocation kit. So another one of those niche products that no one um, really provided a solution for. And so um, I made something to meet that niche. Um, just being able to turn your motorcycle into a bit of a cafe racer. Um, I went through a bit of a cafe racer phase. We all kind of outgrow it eventually. Um, but uh, it was a, a great product to kind of fill a niche that otherwise didn't wasn't properly filled. Mm -hmm. No, and that's great. I mean, uh, and you never know uh, what little niche market you may be filling that gets you the right advertising for other things. They're like, oh, well, you do this too. Well, I, I've got a Jeep and I do this and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, uh, you, you've got more business. So I like those little niche things because you know how frustrating it is whenever you're trying to look for something and, and you know how to search. I mean, you know how to do a Google search and you can't find it. It's like, holy hell, surely somebody else uh, is looking for the same thing. I just can't believe it's not out there. So, yeah, it's neat to be able to uh, pr provide a, a product. Have you sold many of those uh, uh, Ducati uh, uh, instrument clusters? Yeah, honestly, uh, quite a few. Um, and interestingly, almost all abroad, um, a lot to the UK and a lot to Australia. Oh, that's um, cool. Which, yeah, yeah, it was, um, it's by far our most international product. Pump stops are very US focused, um, although there's a, a small but avid following in um, Iceland, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, They're running like 40 something inch tires. I got a couple of customer photos from them and I was like, that's pretty awesome. And you um, know, there's a certain amount of, of joy that you get whenever you create something and, and people want it and they use it. It just, especially in another country. I mean, I don't know if it makes any difference to you, but I just, I just like the idea that somebody from another country is listening to our show. It's just really, really neat. I mean, I wonder if the accent gets them. So. <laughs> It's thrilling, right? Yeah. You're, to know that you're reaching that sort of audience is just so, so cool. Oh, and uh, do you guys do stickers? Uh, I would imagine that uh, everybody uh, that's uh, got bump stops uh, loves getting stickers. We have stickers. There yep. you go. Uh, is that included? Because, <laughs> you know, you got to include them in the shippings uh, whenever you ship oh, stuff absolutely. out. Yeah, exactly. Everyone everyone gets a business card and two stickers and their bump stops. Yeah, and, and soon a, a beer koozie. So that'll be and nice. soon a beer koozie. <laughs> <laughs> I say that, but I have no idea how much those damn things will cost you. <laughs> uh, just, so, print, just print one that you can keep on your desk. <laughs> I, you never know. It might, it might well be a, a next big hitter, right? See, you could also do a lid, like if it was uh, not necessarily for, uh, for a beer, but maybe a coffee cup or something uh, to keep the coffee warm or keep the heat off your hands. And then you could print a part with a bolt. So you could just use that to cover the coffee to keep it warm, and it would just look like a uh, a, a regular bump stop, but it'd be for your coffee. 
and also put steps on the inside too for cans and bottles and different diameter uh -oh. cans. Uh oh, I've started something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really cool. Is there any other products that you're coming out with uh, that you can talk about? Yeah. Um, so we're working on body mounts right now. Um, and the biggest challenge with body mounts, um, there's really three materials that are on the table right now. Um, the, there's rubber body mounts, um, which is what OEM uses and they're good, but there's this phenomenon called creep, which is when you load a part, um, over an extended period of time, the part will compress and, um, plastics are terrible at it. Mm -hmm. Think about, um, you know, if you leave a, uh, um, if you leave a cheap plastic part in the sun in your car and it warps over time. Right. Um, and so that's what that phenomenon is called. Um, and rubber bump stops or sorry, <laughs> rubber body mounts are really particularly susceptible to that over long periods of time, but not as much as other materials like um, plastics and urethanes. So there's rubber, there's polyurethane um, body mounts, which they're good. Um, they have worse creep characteristics and they deteriorate over time. So they get brittle, um, they break apart and, um, they're just not quite as good as the rubber ones. And the most challenging part is you can't make them quite as soft as the factory. So they, they harshen up your ride feel a bit. Um, and the third material is silicone and silicone, um, is awesome with respect to, you can make it soft enough. It's awesome with respect to creep um, because it, it basically doesn't creep. It virtually doesn't creep. Um, but the challenge with silicone is if it starts to crack, that crack will propagate, propagate through the material instantly. And so what we're coming out with is a composite silicone urethane body mount. And what that allows us to do is we have the toughness of a urethane body mount um with a with all of the other characteristics it's primarily silicone in the core but you protect it with this sheath um and you make a discontinuous internal structure and you fill it with silicone and you've now got a super tough also excellent ride feel body mount it checks all the boxes yeah i was trying to think of various things that are on vehicles that uh, that would be similar to a bump stop something uh, like a, a flexible material, and I completely didn't, uh, I completely missed the body mounts. That does make sense. And I can see how that would, uh, like you're saying, actually make impri uh, improve the uh, the ride with uh, just making that uh, that mount a little differently, uh, you know, with the, the, the voids and stuff on the inside of it. So, that yeah, that's a great idea. But I guess you could get into transmission mounts. You could get into motor mounts. There's uh, there's actually several places uh, that uh, you could get into making things for vehicles. So you you have pretty uh, a, a pretty wide ranging market, especially if you do it for multiple vehicles. Absolutely. Um, the thing that we want to make sure that we chase is um, everything that we make. I want to ensure that it is a a market improvement over what oh absolutely what else is on the market. Yes. Right. It can't just be an OEM replacement. It has to either be tougher, longer lasting, mm -hmm. better performing. It's got to check one of those, one or more of those boxes. Yeah. No, you want it to where when people say, oh, you're looking for this, you should try Perry Parts because Perry Parts is, is much better than OEM. You'll, you'll really like that. And it won't matter what it is that you're selling. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. You, that word of mouth is so important. 
All right, Patrick, you know how the kids love, on top of loving Bluetooth devices, they love the social media stuff. Where, where can people find out more about the Perry Parts online? Oh, um, we're pretty active on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page, um, a website, and um, a YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel we're working on building out with some more content in the very near future. Um, but uh, those are all great platforms to reach us on. Um, and should anyone want to contact us directly, um, email us patrick at perryparts.com, or you can fill out the contact form on our website. Mm-hmm. Perryparts.com, perryparts.com. It's all you need to do. And uh, so that's uh, that's really cool. Uh, thank you a lot for being here on the show. And uh, the Jeep Talk Show is now following Perry Parts on Instagram. So we'll be watching you. Awesome. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Tony. Hey, thanks again to Patrick of Perry Parts. You know, visit their website right now, perryparts.com. You know, I was talking earlier about how the internet is just an amazing thing and how these uh, these shows, podcasts can pop up anywhere. And uh, there's no telling what you'll be able to hear. It's almost like having uh, stuff that you want to hear specifically uh, tailored to you. Well, the the 3D printer thing is just amazing. And also uh, due to the internet, uh, I, I believe this is what allows uh, Patrick to have a business. He he saw a need, and he had a 3D printer, had some 3D uh, knowledge to it, uh, behind his uh, under his belt, so to speak, and he decided that he was going to create this part. Now he's got a business. I mean, this is an amazing time to be alive. Uh, it, 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 there's absolutely no reason why, if you have an idea uh, that you can't put a little effort into it, a little extra work, and make it become a reality, even if it doesn't make you a million billion air, um, it uh, what, what is it they say? If if you don't enter, you can't win. So uh, you may just make somebody's life a little a little bit better uh, in the process, and you know it may be yours. Hey, coming up next week, uh, David of DJ's Off-Road Adventure. Go check out their site, djsoffroadadventures.com. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Jeep Talk Show. I want to give a big thank you to our special guests for joining us today and sharing their knowledge and experience with the Jeep community. Remember, we have four episodes a week, and it's understandable if you may have missed past episodes. You can always find us on your favorite podcast platform or on our website with over 850 good lord over 900 now episodes there is plenty of jeep talk show to entertain you while driving to your destination working out at the gym or mowing the grass improve your day by listening to more jeep talk show we love hearing from you our listener reach out to us via email phone social media we use your voicemails on the show Until next time, keep on jeeping, and we'll see you on the trails. Oh, and don't forget, Fridays are red. Remember, everyone deployed. Broadcasting since 2010. Steve Martin, Mike Hubler, Owen Kubasak, Tom Parsonu, John Earl, Bob Vaughn, Patrick Miller, William Wyatt, Tad Jennings, Jim Miller, Ryan Gurley, Dusty L. Dunn, Rick Turner, David Greenwalt, John Wooden, Adam Poole, Keith Brenner, James Holston, David Key, Brent Mendoza, Andrew Prather, Josh Norris, Joshua Southwick, Brent Smith, Matthew Hinaline, Julianne Devoked, Gary Perkins, Andrea Job, James Tomchik, Kevin Briggs, Mark Zabalotny, Hunter Clark, Randy Francis, Larry Holmes, Steve Willett, Craig Daly, Don Swinner, Roger Modrow, Chip Holmes, John Lee, 
Bill Alvarez, and Matthew Johnson.